Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Blind Boy Boat Club is on the line. Say oh, hello. I love Blind Boy. Say Hi, hello. Blind Boy. How's it going, Georgie? I have an idea for you. To transform yourself into the guruess of the wellness world. Would you consider wearing a plastic bag on your head? Oh my God, yes, Blind Boy. Yes? Mm-hmm. I know you're a bit more upmarket than me, so I found... A brown Thomas plastic bag for you. (laughs) Do you know, I've had a lot of people with amazing stories sitting right in front of me in this studio here since we started the Mario Rosenstock podcast. But Georgie Crawford must be right up there as having one of the most dramatic and compelling stories of them all. It's a story about a cancer diagnosis at a very young age. A surrogacy interrupted by a war, crippling self-doubt and much, much more. But Georgie turned all this negativity into something so positive and impactful when she created the Good Glow podcast, which has gone on to become a highly successful health and wellness brand. Now, not only does Georgie have a great story, she tells a great story too. And I've never actually said this before. One of the biggest things that I was pissed off about was that I'd never be able to have a glass of wine and a cigarette again. I've just been transported into this new world where my health has to be my number one priority and it never has been before. Straight away, I wasn't thinking about my embryos. I was thinking about all of these beautiful people that we'd been working with who were now in a bunker with their children. Mm. My husband was in bed with me with a roof over our head. You know, my child was safe in her bed. I watched with the rest of the world in horror. And he said, do you know what your biggest problem is? You think you shouldn't have them. And I was like, whoa. I'd never heard that before because for my whole life, I ran from problems. I was such a people pleaser because I didn't want anyone to have a problem with me. Yes. It's such a wonderful interview. This is a conversation now I'll be thinking of for for a while afterwards. My full interview with Georgie Crawford coming up in a few moments' time. But folks, I know most of you don't care, but we in Radioland do, because this week was JNLR Figures Week. Out this week, they're out four times a year, and we all uh, get squeaky bum time and hope that we don't get fired. Um, In a nutshell, they tell us how many people out there are listening to our radio programmes. And um, you'll see them sort of digested in the papers and spun um, by various different media. And it looks like everybody goes up all the time. But that isn't the case. Um, They just try to make a a good spin out of the stories. And that 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 includes us as well. But in this particular story, the Ian Dempsey Breakfast Show, in which you find Gift Grub, um, we actually had an amazing book. And we're up to a kind of an all time high of 208,000 listeners. And um, we're the biggest uh, show on the whole network as it stands at the moment, and uh, right up there with the top shows in Ireland. Um, But um, some people go up, as I said, and some people go down. Some people get excited about it. Some people prefer not to mention it. Um, But as ever, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, And we opened up the Mario Rosenstock hotline to some of the big names out there, the broadcasters, the big beasts, so that they could send you a message, a message of thanks, a message of hope, a message or indeed an appeal for your listenership. Here they are. Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. How are you? Mario, Ray Darcy here. JNLRs. We're up, we're up, we're up, we're up. Could have gone down, thought it wasn't working, thought we'd go down. 
but we're up. Just goes to show you that hake and porridge and a little gentle banter of an afternoon is a winner. Throw in a sprinkle of Sharon Shannon and away you go. By way of thanks, I plan to present the show while jogging for the rest of the year. Joke. <laughs> up, up, up. It's working. Hi, Mario. This is Miriam O'Callaghan. Why am I down in the jail, Lars? Can somebody please think of the children? I've got eight mouths to feed and you bastards aren't listening to my show anymore. Look, am I being too sweet? Is that it? You know, just too genuine. Just tell me what I've got to do. Maybe you want me to present the late late. That's it. You want me to go back on the box. This could be good or bad. I don't know. Should I physically attack ministers in studio now? Is that what you want? Should I laugh in the faces of bereaved guests? I'll do anything. Just get me up again. Hi, gang. PK here. No, not Patrick Keelty, the original PK. So it appears that just like my humour and general demeanour, my listenership figures are completely stable. Thank you for your continued support and appreciation of my mellifluous tones and razor-sharp intellect. Uberime fide caveat emptor ed ist. By way of thanks, I will continue to generate aural pheromones and sound like a chat GBT AI operator wafting across the airwaves move the needle into your homes and cars. Brandon O'Connor here. Come here. Um, are you okay? Uh, are we okay? Uh, we're down, so have I been talking about the C word too much? Is it the cork accent too cork? Could I decorkify it a bit? I'm happy to tone it down a bit, a lot. Anyway, um, let's then let's start spending our weekends together again, okay? Thanks. <laughs> Mario, oh, Tubbs here, nearly free, free at last, nearly free. No more shitty country music show. No more pretending I'm 25, trying to get the shift with those assholes in Valentine's Day specials. No more stupid antiques. No more watching stupid photographs. That's supposed to be a TV item. I'm free. Free at last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miriam, Miriam, Miriam. I would love it if you got back in the game for the Late Late Show. Now that Sarah McInerney and Claire Byrne, you could do a reverse pincer and just go, I'm back in, baby. Um, so listen, um, we'll do this again in about three months time. Or maybe not. Um, thanks for all your emails. Um, I've started to read a few emails out on the program because, or out on the podcast, sorry, force of habit, um, that, because I've been getting so many. Um, so Joan wrote in, um, just finished listening to your two-part piece with Chris Johns, and I so enjoyed it. Now, I will admit, I certainly haven't an economic head, she says, but you made it so much easier when a lot of the jargon is cut out and it's discussed in layman's language. Uh, Hi, Mario. I heard the lads mention your podcast with Chris on the other hand and had to check it out. I loved your chat with him and have since listened to your excellent conversation with Brenda Power. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into your back catalogue of interviews. One thing you mentioned, Mario, in your chat with Chris piqued my interest, as I've discovered it to be one of the most widely misrepresentative narratives from media commentators across the spectrum over recent years. This related to you bringing up gun control and mass shootings in the U.S., Horrific and tragic events that they are, mass shootings account for 0.1% of homicides in the US each year. So if we could wave a magic wand so that mass shootings never occurred in the States again, it would be almost negligible in terms of its effect on murder rates. 
It's the little girl falls down a well phenomenon where media attention often gets focused in the wrong areas. Anyway, just some food for thought. All the very best regards, Damien. Thanks a million, Damien. And uh, that was food for thought indeed. Um, although um, uh, they, they tend to blame, the Republicans, for example, tend to blame um, the gun um, problem over there on mental health issues. Um, not the guns. They say it's the person that pulls the trigger, not the gun itself. Well, in that case, America must have <laughs> 7,000 percent more mental health issues than anybody else in any other country because you just don't see the same level, same levels of gun crime in other countries. Um, but this is a story we'll come back to again and again. OK, thanks a million for, to, for all your emails. It's Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and don't worry, I do get back to most of them. Okay, time to meet my special guest today, Georgie Crawford. Georgie has just published her first book. It's number one in the Irish charts. Uh, Glow, it's called, Five Steps to Create the Life You Dream About. It's done extremely well so far, as I said, so that's where we kicked things off. Georgie, it's great to have a number one artist on my podcast. <laughs> well, that is the biggest compliment I could ever get. Thank you. Yeah, and off, and your book has just gone to number one in the Irish in the Irish charts. And some, and, and I actually asked you just off air there, uh, which which category was it number one in? Because every lots of people have number one books, and they go, "Well, I'm number one in the sub fiction um, rabbit <laughs> uh, non vegan heterosexual um, blind boy boat club uh, charts." And then you go, "No, no, I'm number one in the overall charts." What? It, really? Yeah, and that was hard for me to say. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. What's the name of the book and what's it about? It's called Glow. Um, I wrote it to help people evolve, whether that's in their professional or personal life. But the whole point of the book is to just take steps forward because I think for so many years I was just going around in circles. So it's anchored by stories from my life, but it's really about the reader and the journey that they can go on. Hmm. To take them from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah, and it's just about planting seeds. And I think that's what I love about a book is you can read a book and you pick up something so different to what the next person picks up from Mm. it. So I just wanted to just plant seeds with people, see how they can bring it into their life and, you know, what glow you know, means to them. Yeah. Now, your journey has been an amazing journey yourself, right? From uh, the novelist you are or the, the book writer, book publisher you are now to the the mega successful podcast which you have. Um, but but previous to that, of course, you're back at home. You're mm. back in the home. Here we are in Marconi House where you worked for so many years. So tell us about your whole radio experience here and how that led to you falling into the world that you're in now. Yeah, and I wouldn't be where I am now without radio because it taught me so much. I was thrown on air when I was in college back studying journalism in DBS and I was a spinny at the time and I would go into the For office. those who don't know what a spinny is, tell them. <laughs> of course. From the olden days. So we were a group of uh, students, I suppose, that drove around in pink minis in convoy, (laughs) annoying people, Um, but living our best lives at the same time. So, yeah, I I just had a real interest in in being a newsreader and uh, using my voice, I suppose. So I, I found my tribe with Spin and we all had this, I always say we were like an Italian family, you know, all screaming at each other one minute and loving each other the next minute. But this common goal of love and yeah. wanting to be the best. OK, so you were in Spain, you were in 98 and then you did a, a, a stint reading news 
mm-hmm. and you were getting up at four thirty in the morning. Mm. And from what I read of the some of the biog notes that I got was that like this was a really early start in the morning. You were involved in office politics, radio politics. It was doing your head in a bit. You can, I suppose, one of the things you said is, and this is a really interesting point. You can start judging your own worth by how you feel about your job and how well you're performing at your job. And that's a dangerous curve or a cycle to get into, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why I go out and speak to people in offices because I think so much of my self-worth revolved around what I did and I had this one one fixation was to read the breakfast news on 98FM. That's all I wanted. There was, I could see nothing else in life but that job. Um, and I suppose in the process of the eight years that I wanted that job, my life was crumbling around me, but I couldn't see it mm. because I was so fixated on one outcome. And when you say your life was crumbling around you, what did you mean by that? I think I became really distant from who I was. I would go on expose, for example, and um, do entertainment segments. I'd drive out to Ballymount and... I'd go on and I'd come home and I'd cry for three hours because I couldn't bear to look at myself on TV and I just felt so stupid and so out of place. Why? I never, why? Um, I really just wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And people wouldn't have known that from the outside looking in, but I couldn't bear to be with myself. I avoided silence. I always had so many different jobs on the go. I was always busy. I was always running from who I was. Do you think that's what it was doing? You were doing, you were running away from who you are. You couldn't calm down and look at yourself in the face, look at yourself in the mirror. You couldn't come to terms with who you are. You were escaping. Yeah, and when I got the text from TV3 at the time to say, oh, we're just going to bring in some other people and we'll we'll talk to you soon. It was this moment where I knew that was like a goodbye. And I was so relieved on the inside, like my inner world was so happy that I didn't have to do it anymore because I was so hard on myself. But because I functioned purely in my outer world and all I did was care about what other people thought of me, you know, how I looked, was I funny enough, was I clever enough? I was actually devastated that this text had come in, but inwardly I was so happy, but I couldn't connect with that feeling because I was so preoccupied all the time by the external. Okay. And the, the last, the word external, I mean, what everybody else thinks of you is one of the crises of our time. Mm. And it still is. It's amplified, it's magnified by all the, the technology around us. Um, we're being turned in a way, in on ourselves. And one of the things that's obvious is that we're all more connected and connected than ever. And uh, many of us are more lonely, couldn't be more lonelier. Yeah, and I've really worked over the last two years in particular to separate my self-worth from what I do. Or, you know, I have an Instagram profile. How many people like my photos? Are people unfollowing me? I've realised that it's actually nothing to do with me. You know, we're all just so caught up, I suppose, with ourselves that if someone unfollows me, that's actually not a reflection on me. It's, you know, whatever they may be going through in their life. So I've really worked hard to ground myself in what I know for sure, which is I am loved. What, What is my main priority? Well, it's to stay well and be with my family. Yeah. Um, And I've had to really dig deep to get to that place. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that you were suffering from, let's say, clinical 
anxiety or a form of depression or did you feel that about yourself or did you feel that you were just too obsessed with yourself and running away from something? Did, it was did like, you, yeah. Did I, you? But did you feel you had anxiety? No. 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 And, and maybe it's because I didn't understand really what anxiety was. Mm. I think I, w- I numbed myself. Mm-hmm. So I watched this Tony Robbins documentary on the day that I found out that my cancer hadn't spread. So I felt like I'd been given a lifeline that night. And I stumbled across this documentary and I started to watch it. And Tony Robbins is this self-help guru from America. And he said, you know what your biggest problem is? You think you shouldn't have them. And I was like, whoa. I'd never heard that before because for my whole life, I ran from problems. I was such a people pleaser because I didn't want anyone to have a problem with me. Yes. And actually, when you have a problem, you grow. And then I could just start. I looked at life that night from a completely different way. And actually, when we numb ourselves, you know, with wine, I used to smoke a lot, living on my nerves. Mm. I was afraid to have a problem, so I kept myself numb. And in that way, then, I ended up just revolving for yeah. so many years. I know what you mean. So you kept yourself numb and on the run. Mm, yeah. Running around, numb and on the run, just running away from a problem. And then when you came around to it in a circle, the next time you just kept running. Exactly. Now, you said the word cancer there. Mm. And think about my listeners, right? So they're, they're listening to Georgie now and they're going, sorry, what can Sorry, what, yeah, yeah, what, what will you say there? Say what? Cancer? How young is this girl? What? You got... Contracted, you got cancer mm. when you were? 32. Wow. Breast cancer. Breast cancer, the biggest shock of my life. I just had my baby girl. She was seven months old and I found a lump in my breast. And in that second, everything changed. And when you found your lump in your breast, sorry, I'm not a, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not a, a woman, but when you found a lump in your breast, not all of these lumps are, are, are bad. Mm-hmm. Many of them are benign. Isn't that right? Did you, you, you obviously, but you obviously said, right, shit, let's get to the doctor. Straight to the doctor. And it, and? And it was benign. Benign. I was diagnosed within five days, right, which so, is a miracle. So, so it, sorry, it was it was malign. It was it was yeah. bad. Yeah, mal- malignant. Malignant. Yeah. Um, breast cancer, and then I suppose. Uh, wow, I, that must have been for a thirty-two-year-old woman. Shocking. Yeah. So, where where was your head at that point in your life before you got the diagnosis? How were you? You know, it's such a good question because it was only when I was diagnosed and I stopped that I realised how sick I was. So in the lead up to finding the lump in my breast, I have this mirror in my hall. I kept stopping and like double taking myself Mm -hmm. and thinking, oh, God, I look so weird. And I'd say to my mum or Jamie, do you think I look so different? And they'd say, oh, you just had a baby, you know, take it easy on yourself. I'd say there's just something. There's just something. But you know the way I spoke about becoming so distant from my inner world? Mm. I was used to just batting that voice away, not giving it any time or Mm. space. I walked past Jamie in the hall one day and he picked up my hand and he said, has another one of your nails broken halfway down? I said, yeah, is that weird? And he goes, "Mm, a bit. So all of these whispers, all of these signs 
So in those days then when you get cancer and you, you your life gets cancelled, basically. And how were you then? This this How did you deal with this mentally? You, Much better than I thought I would. Really? I suppose we're always so afraid of cancer, right? Or well, I was in my yeah. life. Yeah. And I could see, wait a minute, I'm surviving this. Do you know what, like, and I've never actually said this before. One of the biggest things that I was pissed off about was that I'd never be able to have a glass of wine and a cigarette again. <laughs> that would piss me off as well. Just, you know, that that freedom or that innocence or it, it felt and that's so like, obviously, my family, my baby, that all mattered to me. But also the other things matter to a certain extent. I was like, I've just been transported into this new world where my health has to be my number one priority yes. and it never has been before. OK. All right. I'm trying. I'm, I'm getting a picture here. So you're saying, uh, tell me I'm wrong or, or help me with this. You're saying, ironically, getting cancer may have put you on the right road to understanding what the most important thing in your life was. And that was your entire health. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. I've oh. never looked at it that way, but you're right. Yeah. That's exactly it. A little bit of a hardcore way to go about it, Georgie. Yeah, a little bit dramatic. <laughs> I've always been a little bit dramatic. <laughs> and and it, I think it, it would have taken that for me to change. Okay. So you got cancer, breast cancer. You then went into, this was serious chemotherapy and radiotherapy? Mm. Yeah, f- five months of chemotherapy. What's chemotherapy? What is it exactly? And we've all heard of it. What do you do? Do you sit in a chair? You get... sit in a chair. I always tried to sit in number 17. That was my lucky number. I made a beeline for 17. And you hooked up? To, your arms are hooked up? Yeah. Uh, my first chemo was called AC and it was red. They used to call it the red devil. What's that? It was... It's it's a type of chemotherapy I, uh, that they can only give you every two weeks because it's so strong. And it's like it brings you to the brink of absolutely no more. And then it ends. Jesus. How do you feel during it and after that kind of chemotherapy? I lost my hair, which was really sad. I lost all my nails, started lifting up off the beds mm. of, you know, my hands and yeah. my toes you know you're just taking so many drugs you know it's just so it's survival it's really just so hard you're in bits Mm. you physically very weak yeah it's like eating um, eating? yeah well you know I I, I really I did eat well when I could it's like just a a bad hangover you know or morning sickness it's just always that Oh, you just never feel well. And you did five months of chemotherapy. Mm. And you also did radiotherapy. Radiotherapy. What's that like? Radiotherapy was unexpectedly unexpectedly difficult in terms of I it was an afterthought for me. I was so focused on doing the chemo that I was like, oh, radio will be fine. Um, and this is why it's important to say this, because some people just get radiotherapy and... It's so hard. It's so exhausting. You have to lie down um, in the hospital. I think it was like 20, 30 minutes every day. And in those moments, I really felt like um, at times that um, I was I was dead 
because you would lie down in a dark room completely still for a half an hour and with nothing but your thoughts. And what's happening to you? What what are they doing to you? They're, it's like a laser yeah. just on this certain part of your body. Can you feel anything? I, it's a blur, probably heat. Right. And do you feel anything after or in the days after or in the hours after? It's like really, really, really bad sunburn. Oh, God. And okay. it would often um, weep or bleed or, you know... Um, so yeah. it's radiotherapy is so tough on people. And you did both radiotherapy yeah. and chemotherapy. And you, how long did the whole thing last? And October 2017 to September 2018. Yeah. And then just in relation to the cancer, what happened then? So then you get your scans a year later. And I was lucky because I had um, preventative chemotherapy, which means within two weeks of me getting diagnosed with cancer, they removed it. So the chemotherapy was really just in case any little tiny cancer cell escaped or was in my body. So I felt safe. The chemotherapy for me wasn't used to shrink anything. So I knew from the very start that I was in a very privileged position with my cancer diagnosis. What about being a mum going through cancer? I think my little girl helped me face each and every day. So in a way, I had a a reason to get up every day and smile. I think if I didn't have her, I would have spent a lot more time in bed and a lot more time under the covers. But I think with a baby and a cancer diagnosis, I was really forced to choose which one am I going to focus on here? And it was it was my baby every day. Oh, how old is Pia now? Six. Okay. Hi, Pia. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So, did you get your like five, so-called five-year? Yeah, that was in that was in October. Yeah, uh, November. Well, that's brilliant. Which is such an amazing feeling. Is it? Yeah. Also, terrible. Like, there's no, there's no feeling. I think on any sort of cancer journey that you're like, "Whew, that's me done." Yeah. You know, it's always there. Yeah. It, and everyone's journey is so different, and like I was so lucky with mine. So lucky. So you're this extremely young woman and you get this cancer. And I think you said I was right when I said that this forced you to focus on yourself and what's important in your life, your children, child, your 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 partner, yourself, your own health. And you, when I first came across you, it was about this story, of course, when I first came across you in the media and everything about your story. Um, but then, of course, hard upon that, you set up the podcast. And and that's what really, really thrust you into the limelight. So tell us about the podcast. How when did it start? It was 2019, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah the, right right about then. So I was sitting in this building with all of my amazing friends who came on the cancer journey with me and were so supportive. I was so grateful. And I was sitting at my desk one day and I remember thinking, God, where do women go to tell their stories at length? Because there wasn't like... I don't remember any Irish podcasts at the time that were like people had a chance to tell their story. Because when I went on TV and radio, they'd say, OK, you've got eight minutes. And then I do my eight minutes and I was like, but I didn't get to like all the cut stuff, you know, or like the, the positives or the amazing moments. So I remember looking around the office going, where do women like go? And... I was like, I always love podcasts because I, I listened to Serial back in the day. And um, 
I was like, maybe I should just start a podcast. Now, luckily, I'd been so supported by people and I had lots of friends in the media that I called. I called a good few favours in and everyone just started wanting to come on and tell their story. And every story was different. So it wasn't a story about cancer. You know, it wasn't a podcast about, you know, one particular subject. It's about how actually this happened to me. I survived it. And you can too. Yeah. So it's stories of resilience and surviving and women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's gone on. It's evolved, which I think is is a key part. And it's of called the Good Glow, right? The Good Glow. Yeah. yeah. So we've had like Wim Hof. Do you know Wim Hof? Yeah. The Iceman. Yes. We've had him on. We've had some uh, incredible people like Mel Robbins, which is, she's one of the you know major uh, number one personal development coaches in the world. Mm. But then we also have, you know, your next door neighbour who has overcome something which can sometimes be more inspiring than what Wim Hof has done. Yeah, okay. So this has been a tremendous success, the podcast. And as we said at the beginning of this podcast, it is the book as well. And then you went through the cancer, right? So now, in case people think it's not dramatic enough yet, (laughs) (laughs) I want to lay on the drama heavy. This is Georgie now. Georgie, Georgie is is like she's great now for the drama, right? So, uh, I, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to put my foot in it or anything because I'm going to let you put your foot in it because it's your mm-hmm. story and you can mm-hmm. bloody well own it. So I'm going to say the word surrogacy to you. Tell me what is going on. Yeah. So I I remember seeing Rosanna Davison one day, yeah. and I was like, "Come on, tell me a bit more about her story." This gorgeous girl Kira was doing my hair, and she's like, "Well, Rosanna and this, and she went to Ukraine and blah 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 blah." And I was like. Come here, like that's amazing. Because when I look at Rosanna Davison, I would have thought she went to America and it cost a million euro, and mm. you know that's that life wouldn't be attainable for me. But 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 this came into your life, presumably, is it to do with the cancer? Yeah, so it was in my recovery, and I was on a drug called tamoxifen, and mm. my doctor said, "Look, you can't conceive, or it's not adv- advisable to conceive on this drug, but we can take you off it, and you can have your own baby." And there's millions of women that have gone on to have babies after breast cancer okay. and have been perfectly fine. Right. And I would have been fine, but mentally and physically, I didn't think I was able for the journey. Yep. So Rosanna Davison planted this seed. Wait a minute, surrogacy. Yeah, let's let's look into that. And I was fully supported by everyone in my family to go down that road. OK, and this surrogacy means you freeze your eggs. Yeah. Okay. So we had free- frozen our e- free- we had frozen our eggs. We had frozen our eggs um, when I got sick. So I was doing IVF like the week after my cancer surgery, and um, we had these embryos in the beacon. So we said, okay, well, we get the embryos to Ukraine, and once the embryos are successfully in Ukraine, then your agency can start matching you with the surrogate mother. So. You know, on some random Wednesday, my little embryos were sitting at the traffic lights in Sandyford, making their way out to Dublin Airport. They made their way and, uh, yeah, these two guys, and I looked them up on Facebook just to see, you know, who these guys were because we got their full names. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is insane. This is amazing. IVF couriers, they just, this is what they do. IVF couriers. Yeah. Uh, So six of them. Our six best embryos made their way to Ukraine. And I naively, um, I suppose, never thought there'd be a problem. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah. And then what, what, them, when was this that they made their way to Ukraine? Uh, the around about four months before the war. Right. Okay. So they arrived. We got matched with the surrogate mother on the twenty third of December that did year. Did she live in Kiev, or did you know outside of Kiev? Outside of Kiev. Yeah, um, Alina. Um, and and just to note as well that um, the agencies are very protective of the surrogate mothers. So we didn't have a direct relationship okay. with Alina they, at this point. They go point. through an agency. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we were due to do our embryo transfer with Alina the week the war broke out. God. Shocking. It's so weird, isn't it, in this day and age that, you know, maybe I'm just naive, but I was like, even saying the word the war Mm. was just so, so scary. And uh, straight away, Mario, like I wasn't thinking about my embryos. I was thinking about all of these beautiful people that we'd been working with who were now in a bunker with their children. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, yes, we were sad that our journey, my husband was in bed with me with a roof over our head. Mm. You know, my child was safe in her bed. Like it was, it's, it's, it was, I think I, I watched with the rest of the world in horror. Yeah. And how did it affect the actual surrogacy, this, the war? So um, we thought maybe this will just end or, you know, they'll, someone will stop him. Mm. Um, And my mum kept saying of all the weeks and all of the years, you know, but then Jamie, who's amazing, was like, yeah, but imagine if it had been two weeks later where we had have done the transfer and we lost Alina or we didn't know where she was because they it was every man for himself. There's some Latin term for it that the agency said it's every man for himself as in like people there is no there's no rules anymore mm. for surrogacy or for your baby mm. or your surrogate mother like mm. you know mm. so that was really scary and uh, we found out then on um in this WhatsApp group that the embryologist in the clinic made five trips from Kiev to the Slovakian border with everyone's embryos in the boot of his car, mm-hmm. avoiding, you know, the Russian troops. Mm-hmm. And he saved, I don't know how many babies yeah, or potential babies, depending on how you look at the okay. embryos. Right. OK. And where did it go to from there? So then uh, we'll get back to the the madness of um, life, I suppose. Um, and and we everything fell down for six months and we cried and we grieved and we were devastated and we tried to help um, as much as we could. And then we the, the embryos were in a, as, as, uh, a clinic in Slovakia and uh, we, we moved to a new country then uh, with our journey you know, at the end of last year and we haven't, you know, disclosed where that country mm. is. But um, I was doing a podcast with Whitney Port from The Hills. Did you watch The Hills? I didn't. I know about it, <laughs> but I didn't watch it. <laughs> and uh, we got a, an email to say our embryos are on a train to France, to Paris. Right. And uh, from IVF couriers who were amazing. So they had gotten our embryos out of Slovakia um onto a train and they were on a train to Paris and it was a Monday evening and I was just like 
I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> like, it's crazy. But um, our actually, our embryos have been in more countries than we have in the last three years. <laughs> so we're going to get a little, maybe a little list for the nursery of all the... So the biggest thing for me um, to talk about my experience with Ukraine, because obviously I've always been very conscious to not make it about me because... Um, there were so many people with such bigger problems, but the the baby we were supposed to have on the 21st of February or the embryo we were supposed to transfer, I suppose I took about six months to really say goodbye to that embryo because I didn't think that I'd ever get to meet that baby because I, I thought if we restarted our journey, we would use our other embryos that were in Dublin. Um, But just so happens that it's it's most likely the same embryo we I haven't asked the question but it's num- the number one embryo mm-hmm. so it, it it could be and I can't say for certain but it could be the same baby but just a year later mm-hmm. the same human you know mm-hmm. yeah. which is um unbelievable okay. to think to think about and so this is what what situation are we in right now then uh, so we have a pregnancy yeah, and we will be leaving Ireland at the end of September to go, you know, with an empty car seat right. to hopefully go. And and I always say, Mario, like for the last four years, my a lot of my life has been about women and soul sisters and communicating and friendship. And to think that I will have this experience with another woman just feels very fitting for my journey over the last couple of oh, years. Oh, I understand how it ties in with the teams in your podcast, yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, um, if you can, is there pushback from some quarters um, to surrogacy? Uh, what are the criticisms of it? And did you encounter any of those criticisms? Yeah. Um, so I think that's why it's really important. And like the legislation, and you've probably seen it in the news, that the surrogacy legislation and everyone's campaigning for it and there's Irish families through surrogacy. The reason why they're campaigning so much is because they want to have legislation around this to make it safe for people. Because I think at the moment you can go anywhere and go put surrogacy into Google and who knows what will show up. I've never personally Googled it myself. So I have, you know, went, my first port of call was to our surrogacy solicitor, Annette Hickey, who's this powerhouse of a woman um, who's doing incredible work for Irish families. So she was our first port of call. But I suppose the biggest concern is that um, when there's no legislation around it, it's kind of a bit blurry and uh, I think for the protection of Irish babies who are coming home, there needs to be legislation. And I think if there is more, if there is legislation, and I'm I'm not like an expert on it, that things would just be safer. OK, OK. Just wanted a word on that. Um, you mentioned earlier on about being uh, a people pleaser, uh, that you had been a people pleaser. Why are you laughing? <laughs> just because uh it's it's um i i was trying to think was i people pleasing when i first met you in reception there <laughs> i think you were <laughs> was I? but you also met a fellow people pleaser okay i'm a people pleaser as well mm. and i've had to kind of monitor that in myself as i've gotten older and gone through life 
because that registered with me what you said about being a people pleaser. I've constantly wanted not to be a problem for other people and also being a performer and all this. Am I funny? Was it funny? Am I good? Did it good? Did it good? I mean, you know, people used to take the piss out of me years ago for what was it funny? Was it funny? Was it funny? Was it funny? I mean, I've tried to get over that now, you know, a bit and I only say it once or twice a day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I am a bit of a people pleaser and I've tried to deal with it. I've tried to go, fuck it. Just mm. fuck off and just don't take yourself so seriously and don't worry about other, what other people are thinking because to be honest, they're not thinking about you anyway, Mario. They're thinking about themselves. Yeah. So one of the words I, I, I came up with, it's a very long word and it's, it's no. The word is no. So I've tried to build the word no into my vocabulary a bit more. No, I can't. No, I'm not able. No, um, I won't be available. Uh, no, I'd love to, but I'm not going to. Why? Just no reason. Just no. I'm just staying in that night. Mm. Um, and so does that mean anything to you, the word no? Yeah, 100%. I think I was so, I was, used to be so afraid to say no. I used to, well, what does this mean? And I think that's why I sacrificed so much of myself for other people. I think it's fine to be a people pleaser to a certain extent, but I think when it's, affecting you in a negative way there needs to be boundaries like I have this quitting time at every day at 8pm that like nothing can come past me at 8 like because I think you know when you work for yourself you're it's very easy to blur the lines so like 8pm I down tools I cannot take any more whereas before I think I would have said oh it's grand or I'll just take this call or yeah no problem I'll just stick this up on the website for spin, you know, outside yeah, but, of ours. And there was also, in there's also in, around the world for a long time been a culture of machismo, macho-ness around work. Mm. You know, you work for yourself. Suck it up. 24-7. I'm never asleep. I'm always working. Yeah, I think, uh, didn't Mark Wahlberg say he gets up at half two in the morning No, he doesn't go, no, he, 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 he goes to bed at half two and gets up at 25 past two. Oh, okay. He goes to bed, <laughs> he goes to bed five minutes before, he goes to bed five minutes after he gets up. Can I, can I, can I bring the conversation to another area? Yeah. And that is that the area you're in, the world you're in, uh, in, in your professional life, we call it, let's say, uh, maybe wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe uh, improving your mental health, uh, positive reaffirmation, all that sort of stuff. A lot of that stuff has been going for years and it's really now kind of going through a golden age again. Yeah, you know, Tony Robbins was a long time ago, but you have all your happy pairs and all this sort of stuff and, uh, and all this. And there's, I want you to talk to me, if you can, about my feelings are that there's a little little bit of a danger to this world that you're in. And that is this, because I will try and explain. The, the, the kind of going, the, the kind of idea of it, you need to look at yourself. Mm. You need to uh, take care of yourself. You need to look after your mental health. You need to look after your physical health. You need to learn about resilience. Maybe three rules of resilience. Maybe four. You need to think about empathy. You need to think about your emotional intelligence. You need to think, am I ready to this? Am I ready to take my foot out of my bed this morning? And before I hit the ground, I need to go, am I empathetic enough? Am I emotionally intelligent enough? Am I ready? Have I got enough water? Did I take enough water during the night to do this? Do I, you know, um, and I'm just wondering, are we in danger of um, getting too much into ourselves again? In other words, for want of a better word, going right up our own holes. Mm. Because 
although everything you're saying is about becoming a better person, there's something about it that is a little selfish as well. Mm. And, I, and that is, the more you're thinking about yourself, the less you're thinking about other people. You're still thinking about yourself. So even though your message is very positive, Georgie, there's still an element of, if you forgive me, 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 me about 100%. it. 100%. Well, will you try and talk to me about that? Yeah, and I've definitely thought that because as a woman and a mother, right, the first thing um, you feel around that is guilt. And I have 100% thought, am I, am I too much about me? But I actually think when you really think about it, I am being of service to others by my work with The Good Glow, but also through looking after myself. Because I could see in my recovery from cancer, when I started to do the park run and I started to make time for myself to do that, my mum started to do it. And then she would have conversations with other women and then they'd start to do it. So I could see actually that when it it can seem selfish, right? But actually what you're doing is through doing the work yourself, I think you're spreading the goodness. I think that's an excellent answer. And that was a really, that's really well answered. Yeah, no, really well answered. To me, though, it just to add one more thing, yeah. because it is such a great question. It's breaking the cycle of my mum did everything for everyone else around her and sacrificed herself. True. And then I started doing that in my life because Jamie was diagnosed with MS yeah. and our whole life revolved around yeah. his his diagnosis. Um, and, and he didn't make it that way. But I felt like that's the way I should be. So I I do, I put on my runners and sometimes make my day about me so that my daughter will do that when she gets older. I think that's a really excellent answer, actually. Yeah, well done. I'm sweating a bit. No, it's good. <laughs> it's just that, yeah, uh, that's that's not an easy question to answer and you, you answered it well. And, and actually then I reflect on that answer and I would say to you, you're right about some of it. You're right about a lot of it. And that is, especially when you said about the mums from years ago, Ireland is full of mothers who died of cancer because they had a pain and they didn't do anything about it mm. because they were too busy serving everybody else and they just wouldn't even dream of taking the time to go down to their doctor yeah. because they were so, they were on the cross the whole time. Yeah. And of course they loved it. They loved being on the cross until they just died of cancer. Mm. Because they, it was too late by the time they found out. They didn't take any care of themselves. But the, the, my story about the burnt potato in my book is, it's I have five little short stories. And to tell you really quickly, so Jamie, you know... You don't have to tell me really quickly. It's a podcast. Okay, Go thanks. On. So Jamie was uh, diagnosed with MS when we were dating. And I think for my whole life then, for the 10 years in between him getting MS and... Um, or the the six years, um, our whole our whole world revolved around his health. So he would go to the gym, he would go play hockey, and I would say, "I'll do the ironing, I'll do the weekly shop, I'll make the dinner." So I really was in service of him. And when I would make the dinner, 
if there was a burnt bit of the dinner, like if I made a tray of potatoes and I burnt like the top bit, I put the burnt food on my plate and I would give him right. the perfect food. Yeah. And I think for so many women, we do that or the burnt bit of the lasagna or whatever the dish is, because we want everyone else to have this perfect experience or to be well. And we tell ourselves, I'll survive, I'll be grand. So we eat the burnt food instead of thinking, actually, would everyone in my family be happy or with a smaller portion for me not to eat the burnt food? Well, you know, we don't that it doesn't even cross our mind. We just we just put the burnt food on our plate. And when I got sick myself and I realized, oh, my God, how did I expect to survive living like that? When there's a burnt bit of the dinner, that's not on my plate anymore. It's not on Jamie's plate either. But I don't eat burnt food anymore because I can see now that I can't survive when I'm eating burnt food. There is one other thing, a issue, and that is um, you handled the first question well, so I'll give you the second question then. There is the second one, which is bullshit around the language. Now, there's a lot of talk of evolving. Mm. I'm evolving around my own personal journey space <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. I think I think a lot of that could be tem tempered down a little bit. Really? Yeah, I do. Okay. Why? Um, I think it's... Um, I, I, I think the language becomes... Like a uniform. Everybody starts using the same language. Yeah. And I think it's a code for don't question me because I'm using the language that you know that I'm using that other people in this area use. And it's it's vague as well. Very okay. vague. Mm -hmm. Like whenever I hear somebody saying evolving, I always I get I get my, my, my 15 year old says it gives me the shivers, dad. Okay. Get a bit of the shivers. Now, what, so see, what about like s taking steps forward in life? It's probably not as annoying. Okay. Um, because it's very, ra it's that's very rational and, mm. and thing. But I think words like evolving, I mean, um, are, are, are not literally just, just evolving, but there is, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. Oh, I think there is, I think this, I think people can get, can get lost in their own uh, vocabulary in around these areas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I th and I do think for for people, especially, geez, since you write a book, like th the interviews are different. You know, um, I think and 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 I welcome feedback and you know the chance to um, to take things on. I guess what I'm saying is, like, you're very you're you're very authentic. And you you wouldn't need, in my view, you wouldn't need any of that um, language, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, I really, I will think about that one. Mm, I think you could even, you know, if you if you blunted your language slightly, or okay. slightly. Yeah. Sharp, not, blunted it, made it more blunt. Mm. I think you'd stand out even more. Okay. That's only a suggestion. Thank you. I'm not a coach. I'm not a life coach. <laughs> I'm not Tony Robbins uh, or anything like that. But uh, it's just a, it's just a suggestion, and and it's no not a, not a criticism per se, really, because it's normal that you would it's normal that you would adopt, and it's you, you would somehow uh, as well see it's polite almost to adopt a similar language to your to your industry, almost in 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 communicate in in, in in commune with them that mm. you would go. You were speaking the same language. We're communicating together through a language we both know. But sometimes I think it gets lost a little bit. Yeah, and, you know? and, and you can get so into the world, can't you? And I think... That world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
like you know it can consume you and mm. the, and that's the, going back to this the selfishness mm. of it because you can just become so consumed by it but like yeah. I'm very aware say for my stepdad for example who is like old school Dubliner right. you know is he um, and like I have to be careful with him yeah yeah in the night, he absolutely loves the good glow and loves what yeah, I do. But yeah. I'm very conscious to ask him about things that he likes in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and spurs <laughs> and, you know, whatever he does on a Friday night. Does he have a, what kind of a voice does he have? Uh, he, he's not you said, like, is, is he traditional Dubliner like? Uh, no, like he's um, he's 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 from Terenure. His whole family worked in Guinnesses. Like yeah. you know, he's salt of the earth. But it would be brilliant if he was able to use the language of wellness to talk about spores. <laughs> yeah, spores are currently in an evolving space. Their journey towards promotion is one of taking steps forward, but also realizing that evolution, true evolution of personal space, <laughs> is about losing to Leicester on Tuesday. Um, so I, that would be interesting. Um, do you know some? One of the other things we have said about uh, podcasts: you all need a, a, your own lane. Mm. You know, so one of the things about this podcast that makes it different to other podcasts is I, I, I tell various celebrities. Uh, that who I'm going to be having on the podcast. Okay. And I ask them, then there's some of them then they say, oh, can I listen to that live? Mm. And I go, yeah, you can. So you want to listen to it live? You want to listen to it live? And they listen to the podcast live and uh, and then they ring in, you okay. know, and then they ring in. So 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 a few people registered <laughs> with me. few people registered with me when I said Georgie Crawford was coming on. So uh, Miriam O'Callaghan's on the line. Say hello to Miriam, Georgie. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Georgie. Oh, my God. I'm absolutely in tears listening to you. I think what really, really... Are, are you OK? Yes, I'm perfectly fine. I think you're more than perfectly fine. You're genuinely amazing and inspiring. Um, I think what really, really tipped me over the edge in this conversation was... Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. When you talked about the burnt potatoes. <laughs> Last night... I made dinner for my eight kids. All the potatoes were burnt. We had nothing to eat. I ate one Brussels sprout. And I gave the unburnt Brussels sprout to my husband, Steve. I should have given him the burnt one, shouldn't I? Absolutely, Miriam. What, really? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I feel I'm evolving. <laughs> Jesus. That word is banned in here now. Hang on. Uh, Blind Boy Boat Club is on the line. Say oh, hello. I love Blind Boy. Say Hi, hello. Blind Boy. How's it going, Georgie? It's great to talk to you. Are you all right? Yeah, it's just you've never you've never um, answered my calls before. That's because you've never appeared on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. <laughs> I listen like a cuckoo mating with a raven every week to this podcast I have an idea for you to transform yourself into the guruess of the wellness world would you consider wearing a plastic bag on your head oh my god yes blind boy yes Mm -hmm. I know you're a bit more upmarket than me so I found a brown thomas plastic bag (laughs) for you (laughs) which has some accessories in it and goodies in it Good glow goodies, nice skin products, etc. Is that okay? Oh, perfect, thank you. 
brilliant. Jeez, you're doing great on these calls. Oh my God, I'm nervous. No, no, don't be nervous. They're really loving it. You're you're going down a bump. Like, I'll tell you who else is on the line. You know Joanne McNally? Oh, Joanne. Say hello to her. Hi, Joanne. And Vogue is there as well. Oh my God, Vogue. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Joanne, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Listen, um, Georgie. Yeah. Fucking love the podcast, girl. Fucking love the podcast. I love the way it's all about girls and stuff and wellness and looking after yourself. But there's one thing you don't talk enough about. What's that? Riding. <laughs> oh my God. Nothing makes you feel weller than a good ride. Bottle of Pina Grigio, 20 major and a fucking huge ride. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Shut up, Foggy. Oh, bang Why don't on. you talk about riding anymore? Or at all? Well, if you came on, Joanne, we could talk about riding. Because it really makes you well. <laughs> I've been riding my way around the world. <laughs> Joanne's riding tour of the world. It's amazing. She's doing great. Um, Georgie, that's fantastic. Uh, you answered you answered all my questions brilliantly. And and how are you now at the moment? You're excited about this. Uh, you're really excited about this book mm. um, because it's gone to number one and everything. And this podcast and, you know, you've got over the cancer and surrogate on the way. On the way, yeah. Um, life couldn't be better. Yeah, life is uh, is really good at the moment. I'm very aware of that. Um and I'm, I'm, these are the moments we live for, you know. Mm. So every day, I, I just, like, I just want to live my life, mm. you know. And I, I get so much joy out of each and every day. Mm. Every person I meet, every conversation I have, you know, I'm evolving. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have evolved fully now and your evolution is over. Um, but I would ask you, actually, this is just uh, my own personal thing and I'll pass it on to my listeners directly because they're listening now, but uh, they'll be listening for this podcast. If I wanted to get a good example of uh, what the Good Glow podcast sounds like, give me two episodes to jump onto. Uh, PJ Gallagher was P- on last season. PJ Gallagher. Go Love on. PJ. And uh, Kathy Wheatley, who um, is a friend of mine who went to Ukraine or went to the border of Ukraine when the war broke out and her surrogate mother was inside um, in one of the camps and she crossed the border and went in and physically took her surrogate mother and her family out of Ukraine and brought them home to Ireland. Now, this lady had had Kathy's babies like five years ago and they kept in touch. And to this day, that woman from February 2022 is still living in her two-bedroom cottage in uh, Wicklow hmm. with her family. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, and that story is told on that podcast. So mm-hmm. the two episodes would be that you'd, you'd refer people to are PJ Gallagher and Kathy Wheatley. Okay, listen, Georgie, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I think such a wonderful in, interview. Well, you're an inspirational human being. You cannot but have an easy interview with you. Your story alone sells it yeah and this this is a conversation now I'll be thinking of for for a while afterwards I'm I'm glad you will thank you very much thank you and my thanks to Georgie Crawford for being my special guest on the Mario Rosenstock podcast um, this week Um, thanks to all of you for your emails please keep them coming in on any topic you want mariorosenstock at gmail.com I go to that email about twice a day and really look forward to seeing um, what you've sent in to me uh, MarioRosenstock at gmail.com I'm on Twitter at GiftGrubMario and the other um, social media sites as well take it handy tell one person about this podcast said it before I'll say it again see you next week <laughs>